It's your old pal, the Crypt Keeper. Tonight's tale of terror comes from the Trick or Treaters podcast. Join them as they journey into the horrifying unknown. <laughs> you are listening to the Trick or Treaters podcast, part of the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Movie reviews, horror news, and all the gory details. Listen if you dare. Hello everyone and welcome to the Trick or Treaters podcast. I am your host Kyle and as always I'm joined by my wonderful co-host JR. JR, uh, you recently went back to work uh, and in your actual office for the first time. How, how was that compared to what you've been doing? Uh, well, good evening, Kyle. Um, as we are recording on Tuesday, August 3rd, yes, I've been working from home for a little over 500 days. Uh, Monday was the first day back in the office, and it was definitely, it's kind of a a weird feeling because part of me going back feels that the previous 500 days is kind of a faded memory. It's, you know, it's just things that happen that part of history. It didn't seem like it, you know, it didn't even seem like it occurred anymore. But you also see what, um, there's still a lot of, like, social distancing and how things are taken to their in account as far as um, work. So there's offices that are doing hybrid schedules. There are, you know, the entire, our entire campus is, uh, is required to wear masks based on the CDC guidelines that are currently uh, being um, recommended. And during summer, normally it's very desolate to begin with because most of, we don't have a big summer schedule. Um, this year, it's obviously even more because a lot, because all the classes for summer to begin were online. As we start gearing up for the first day of fall classes, it's definitely gonna be interesting. Um, I was told approximately 40% of our classes will be hybrid, which means that there'll be an por- online portion and an in-person portion or um, an 100% in-person course. 40% will be that model or modality, as they say, modalities. And then 60% would be fully online um, through Zoom courses or just full online integration. So you know, we're easing into it. It's still, you know, everybody's still being diligent, um, ensuring that, you know, health and safety's, you know, is taking for, you know, is occurring. And as more people, you know, get vaccinated over the, the next six to eight weeks is what I hope for. And that's really what a lot of what it is, is that when you're on a college campus, you really, you don't want anything that creates some sort of outbreak. And, and, and I mean, and when I say that, I mean, that even goes down to things that the littlest things, like if you have a college dormitory, you don't want anything like lice or bed bugs um, to, you know, chicken pox outbreak. Like you don't want any of that stuff because all it just becomes, a, it just becomes, a you know, like this big health, um, safety and logistical, you know, nightmare 
for for the campus and then you look at offices and people going into quarantine uh, a lot of a lot of people have are dealing with that you know everything from education to agriculture to uh people who raise cattle i've been reading so much about you know different areas of work that you know how they're tackling you know going back to work or dealing with covid covid guidelines and things of that nature because the last thing you ever want to do is lose your is lose you want you don't want people to get sick you definitely don't want people to get sick end up in the hospital as we're seeing right now um and also with you know leads up to unfortunate fatalities and then you don't want and that hurts your you know also with your workforce especially in those essential areas with you know food ag and education Oh yes, for sure. You can't, you can't have any of that happening. Uh, how's it been? Uh, it's getting back into work. Has it has it been a, a good transition? You know, the most important thing is just getting everything ready for students to come back. I, I mean, that's the that's the whole reason why you know we're doing everything we can to come back on campus. Um, I I don't I don't care what anybody says. Um, in any grade level, whether it's K through 12, community college, or higher education, online learning is extremely difficult. I've done online learning before when I was in college. And it's you as a student perspective, you have to have a certain mindset and to be able to tackle online learning from a, a professor standpoint, you have to you have to learn how to teach online. It's not something that you just go into it. There's certain there's a certain way that you have to do it and it comes with experience and getting thrust into that with no experience, very little timing to put your courses up online uh, because the worst thing you could ever do is just be, here's PowerPoints, here's online, figure it out. And then, you know, your grades are due at the end. You'll get your grade at the end of the semester. That's the worst thing you can do. There's, there's certain integrations that need to occur to ensure that students have every opportunity to succeed in the class. Um, and, you know, that's why, you know, we're really trying to do our best we can to get as many courses back on campus. Um, but at the same time, it's also, we're gonna have students who wanna be on campus and we're gonna have students who um, still don't feel comfortable enough to be on campus and want to do online learning. And so you're trying to accommodate, you know, the two different populations, you know, um, there's a lot of things that to take into account the students have, just like we would have, whether it's if you have a loved one um, that is potentially at risk, an elderly person, a very young child, you know, like an infant or something like that. Um, you know, if you live with a, a family, you know, the you have somebody that if you're going, if you're a a son or daughter and your parents work and that's the income the last thing you want to do is you know you you think about that risk and say hey you know if i come onto a college campus if i were to get covid then that means like if i go home my parents could potentially get it that means they would be out of work that means that they won't be able to you know pay the bills for you know two weeks you know that's kind of a problem i mean that's not kind of it is a problem obviously so you know, we're doing everything we can to really set up our offices and set up classrooms to accommodate, you know, 
students uh, set up online services. I think that's one of the other things too is during this whole time is learning what our deficiencies were with the internet and online capabilities. So if there are things that we could potentially do online that is more fast and efficient. Um, and and when I'll give you an example. Um, you know, one of the things that a lot of people are doing is online uh, meetings. So if you have a student who doesn't need to come on campus for any reason except the meeting, why have an in-person meeting if you can do a Zoom meeting? You know, I, I think that was one of the, you know, things that we learned through the, the last 500 days is doing things like, you know, through the internet to where it's um, more efficient. It's actually more timely efficient because it's safe. You know, I've known people who said that, you know, for them to get ready for online meetings with students is actually, you know, better than doing an in-person meeting because they feel like their their timing and rhythm is more fluid. Yeah, you guys, you just gotta, you just gotta find a way to make it a easy transition for them and everything. And uh, like you said, some some will want to be on campus and some want so. Yeah, I mean it's no different if you think about Kyle. You know, people that go shopping at Walmart or Target. There's people that are going to want to do in person shopping. There's people that are going to want to still do uh online shopping. Um, so it's. Obviously, it's a very different thing, but the same type of um, feeling of comfortability is the same. You know, some people are not going to feel comfortable coming to an in-person class, and some people are going to feel comfortable, and that's what we're trying to do. It's not about taking, um, and I can tell you from experience, doing an online class is not easy or should not be as easier than doing an in-person class. My online classes that I've taken have been more difficult than doing um, an online class, uh, in-person class, and there's more work required of you to do an online class or should be required to make sure that you're keeping up with your readings, keeping up with with the tech, with the, the in-class assignments. You know, most of the time with, with all the classes I did that was online, I had way more assignments to do than, than I ever did doing an in-person lecture. Oh man, yeah. Uh, I always hated. Uh, I took a, I got, I, got, I took a couple online classes when I was in college, and I'd much rather do classes in a classroom than online. Uh, on a different note, I wanted to ask you one of the things that I've also been keeping up, and it's anytime that I, I feel like there's a once in a you know once in a blue moon type event. Something I always want to keep an eye on. And this year, um, Tokyo hosted, uh, technically, is the 2020 Summer Olympics. It began on uh, opening ceremony, started on July 23rd. And the closing ceremonies is actually uh, this weekend on, on August 8th. And approximately 11,000 athletes representing over 205 nations and 339 Different events over 33 sports are happening as we speak and about winding down. I've had the opportunity uh, to catch some badminton, some archery, some basketball, some running, some swimming. Uh, if I didn't say badminton, badminton, um, 
I saw a little bit of wrestling. I'm a big fan of wrestling. Uh, from my from my uh, I was a, I'm an old amateur wrestler. Um, that, so th- I just really enjoy the Olympics. It's one of those things where sometimes you see events. It's just like I'll give an example like Batman. I was like, oh man, it's just Batman. And then I saw the the gold medal final. Um, I can't remember his name. He was from Denmark versus the defending uh, gold medal champion from China. And man, it was you know them them dudes are going at it in this badminton final and just the 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 skill level they had that they're thinking that you know they're thinking four or five moves you know into the future they're thinking about the seventh eighth ninth points into the future setting things up like the ultimate chess you know playing abilities that these guys have like they're gene you know it was really uh amazing to watch so I've really been enjoying some of the Olympics I've I've caught. Um, sometimes I've stayed up a little bit late to watch them over the, the last week before, um, and then right now watching uh, some of it on tape delay in the mornings um, using um, NBC Olympics app or the Peacock app. Have you catched any of this? Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to catch any of it. Uh, Boom! I, I, I know, I know, I know. I, I wish I could have... Uh, uh, but I haven't been able to catch it. I think uh, uh um, is it skateboarding in the Olympics this year? Yes, there was um this. I think this was the first year skateboarding was in the Olympics. I didn't see the actual uh event. I saw highlights, and yeah. I believe one of the events I believe was won by a twelve year old girl from I want to say Japan. Huh. Um, and it was more of like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was a, um, it was a type of, you were, you were given like a time limit, like a three or four minute time limit or something like that. And then you basically had to do like free skating and, uh, see like, you know, what happened with that. And so, um, uh, here, here it is, uh, She's 13 years old from Japan. I'm gonna mess up her name. Uh, Momiji Nishia, 13 years old, won the gold medal of Japan in the uh, women's street style. And there's also a uh, Yudo Yorigomi from also representing Japan, age 22, won the gold medal in men's street. It looks like there's also two other events, men's park and women's park. I don't know what that any of this means. I'm assuming um, it's just a different type of um, yeah ramps and stuff that they would be doing. Yeah, there's different styles of skateboarding. But yeah, there's um that's pretty neat. Like I said, I seen I saw women's water polo. I saw a game between Russia and the U.S. I seen I saw women's softball, Mexico versus. I think it was Mexico versus France. I saw men's base, men's baseball. I've seen you know a lot of different events. Um, I for me, like I said, I, I've always wrestling is just something that I've always been passionate about since I was in high school because it really changed my life and I just always enjoy watching it. Um, but seeing things like archery, you know, just uh, in some of the things like archery and Batman, you kind of quickly catch along. Like, what are the like rules? you know how do you win a game that was pretty cool i saw the um the men's ping pong men's singles ping pong finals between uh they're both they're both final athletes both represented china that was crazy 
um you know kind of similar to badminton you know these guys are you know trying to set everything up for four or five moves down the line you know the next game points but that wasn't you know just in their perspective you know event they do you know but obviously is this olympics the highest center possible but man they're just really really amazing athletes these people that that in their perspective sports yeah, I'll have to uh, try and catch some events. Did you say, uh, are you able to go back and watch some events on Peacock? I, yeah, I believe so. And I believe they actually break it down per, like, you know, per sport. So I'm sure, like, if you're, for example, if you're interested in skateboarding, I'm sure you'd be able to find skateboarding and look up that those previous things. Okay, I'll have to check that out then, for sure. Sounds interesting. Oh. Uh, uh, moving on to some horror-related stuff. Uh, this month, uh, here in just a couple weeks, uh, Candyman comes out in theaters, and I'm super excited to see that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I believe the release date is August 27th, so we're looking at, yeah. I'm doing math correctly, is that through... Uh, Somewhere around three weeks from Friday, if I did my math correctly in my head. I believe you're correct. So, um, you know, it's just one of the things this is, you know, it's this is a really good time of, you know, that we're like getting into. Obviously, as everybody's been hearing us for a while, we've talked about, you know, you know, bands, just these releases are coming, they're coming. But you look at just, I would say things are down the pike, whether it's, you know, I just sports. The Olympics are winding down, but we're getting close to the end of baseball season, which means, you know, plays coming up to playoffs, NFLs get ready to start. Um, then you have a lot of big movies are dropping, you know, big events for us that are wrestling fans. So it just feels really good to see a lot of things occurring, and there's a lot of things to take advantage of. Another, it's not horror-related, but this week is, the you know, coming out on both HBO Max and Cinema, the um, – the the suicide squad yes you know i can't wait for that super excited um one of the things actually if we want it's it's movie related i think it's something that we've kind of talked about this for a while because of these um at-home releases but scarlett johansson is suing disney and marvel for uh, royalties i believe due to in what her and her uh legal side is referring to lost wages due to the uh simul release of black widow on both disney plus and the movie theaters her side is claiming that by doing the the simul release it ended up costing her more money than if they would have just done the full movie theatrical release and that's some of the things that you when we have talked about how can this potentially change the game from what I've read, a lot of people in Hollywood, movie producers, uh, directors, actors who get compensated, you know, by ticket sales are really happy that Scarlett kind of, you know, stood up and said, Hey, you know, I'm not taking this lightly and I'm going to sue you. And this is going to be very interesting to watch because this is, potentially going to have a lot of ramifications on previous releases new releases um i don't did you see that kyle 
I remember reading something uh, something about it, but I wasn't quite sure what what exactly it was. I'm glad you, you explained it. Yeah, I don't know from a legal standpoint. Um, obviously, that's people who actually read Scarlett Johansson's contract. Um, if she has a, a leg to stand on, um, I don't know. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting just to see what the ruling is and how do movie studios move forward. I'm obviously I think in general you're gonna see contracts written differently. Um, I think probably going into it movie studios are going to have a better understanding of what movies they're going to want to potentially release to streaming platforms movies they would consider releasing in both uh you know both theatrical releases as well as streaming releases at the same time like they did with black widow cruella um suicide squad for example this the and the wb one is even more interesting because unlike Marvel, you know, technically they're charging people $30 to see Cruella and um and Black Widow. So Scarlet, from my understanding, I could be wrong, may, did make money from Disney Plus because of those $30 fees. But the difference though is with Warner Brothers with um movies like the upcoming Matrix the Suicide Squad, Mortal Kombat, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. They're not charging anybody for these for these movies on HBO Max when they came out. So I don't know if obviously HBO Warner Brothers cut a deal, but if how much compensation was given to Warner Brothers, and if you had somebody, let's say, um, like. Idris Alba, who's going to be in the Suicide Squad movie, if he gets paid a percentage of ticket sales, well, I'm going to be honest, someone like me, I'm not going to pay to go see the Suicide Squad. So he's not collecting the, you know, if I seen that night, like $10 or $12 movie ticket, because I already got HBO Max, I'm watching HBO Max. So those those situations are going to be very interesting to see down the road, too. Yeah, while it's uh, while it's good for us as a consumer having the option of either going to a theater or watching it from our home, uh, it's it, it, it's interesting to see that how this is impacting the actors, and you know whether or not they're receiving the proper uh, 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 the, the proper compensation and everything for with movies being released simultaneously in theaters and HBO max or other, or other digital streaming services. Absolutely. So I just definitely wanted to throw that out there just in case, um, you know, as like, so we've talked about it quite a bit since honestly, I feel like, you know, since December when we first heard the deal with Warner brothers and, um, and HBO max. So, and you know, there's rumors of, uh, I haven't heard anything. I've only saw it posted like one time, so I don't know how true it is, but, you know, we talked about it last episode. There's the rumors of going on that apparently uh, there's talks of Universal letting Netflix have Halloween kills on Halloween to stream on Netflix, which would be 15 days after it releases for theaters. See, and that is... That's another situation because if you have if you have somebody 
who is potentially on the fence, you know, about going to see it, they would, you know, if if you really think about it, especially if it comes out on Halloween, some people, not me, not you, obviously, we wouldn't wait. We wouldn't wait two weeks. Some people, though, may wait until it comes out on Netflix, and that would potentially take away from ticket sales for you know Halloween kills. And how does that affect Blumhouse? How does that affect someone like Danny McBride? How does that affect Jamie Lee Curtis? How does that affect Judy Greer? Yeah, it's uh, like I said, why it's why it's good for us as a consumer. We don't know how this is affecting the actors, the director, the the writers, etc. All the cast and crew with this with these new deals, but we'll see how it plays out. Uh, so for those listening, you know, you, you we're now this this episode is going to drop for the first week of August. So, oh, uh, you know, we've reached August, and our uh, our our August schedule. We are going over. Movies that are Netflix original horrors, uh, which is which I thought would be a really fun theme because there's a lot of really great horror horror movies uh, that are original to Netflix, especially the one we're talking about today. Uh, it was both mine and yours, like uh, not necessarily this part. Uh, I mean, this part is one of mine uh, out of the three, but uh, there's the whole trilogy and it's all was one of our favorite things that we've seen horror wise in recent time. And we're talking about uh, part one of uh, Netflix uh, P- uh, Fear Street trilogy, uh, 1994. Yeah. You know, the, the as soon as we discussed this by doing Netflix, I thought it was a great idea because a lot of people have Netflix and, this is an opportunity for people who listen to us, who want to do the, re- you know, watch the movie, do the review for us. It's not going to be any additional costs. Like some of the other movies, you know, that we end up watching, I end up either ordering them, uh, keeping them, or renting some of them. But I thought this was a great idea that you came up with. And as soon as we saw Fair Street come out um, in the beginning of July, July 3rd, I believe. That first Friday, I was just like, this is a movie we have to cover in on Netflix. I mean, by far, you know, I one of the best movies that have horror movies, in my opinion, in the last 20 years. Like, you know, I think about Saw, I think about um, Halloween 2018. I think about, um, you know, Evil Dead and... This one, the way they did, I just thought was so well put together and just the vibes it, it gave was really amazing. And I think when it's all said and done, it people are, are going to appreciate this um, this trilogy, limited series, whatever you want to call it. It's going to be up there with, you know, movies like Scream and Halloween and Friday and Nightmare and, um, you know, Child's Play. It's just... I think it's just so amazing. And this is a film that a series I'm so glad was given out um, on Netflix over three weeks. Because if this was put in the movie theaters, man, I would be like foaming at the mouth to get to, you know, waiting for that second part to drop and then waiting yeah. for that third part to drop. 
uh, I don't know about the other parts, but I did read that originally uh, back in 2020, they actually planned on releasing this in theaters, but then because of the pandemic, uh, they they ended up not and having hold off, holding off, and they ended up selling the. I think they sold the. Let me make sure I'm right. Yeah, uh, following the, the, the they wanted to release release it in theaters in June of 2020, but then because of the pandemic, uh, the 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 whole trilogy was pulled from the 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 schedule. And then the following, then uh, uh, 21st Century Fox got, uh, got picked up by Disney. And so the, the the distribution company ended their deal with 20th Century Studios, and they ended up giving the distribution rights to Netflix in August of 2020. And so then Netflix decided to premiere it of the, the summer of the following year, of this year. So originally... Uh, I think, yeah, originally it was supposed to release in theaters, but as a film adaptation, not a series, so I don't know how different that would have been. Maybe they would have found a way to combine all four, all three into one, one feature-length film, or, or how they were going to do that. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy the way that they did it, because I think the way they did it was perfect. Yeah, the thing is, if if they try to, if you think about it in so many ways, this is the way the story kind of plays out, the length of the story, it's up there with it, and it was a two part movie. It was a, I believe it was a three part miniseries, uh, the original one, three part miniseries, not two part miniseries. Um, when it, that one came out, you can't turn that into one movie because there's so much. I'm sure I'd never read the book of it, but I could tell there's so much that was left out if you just listen to, if you ever talk to anybody who's an it fan um that's read the book. And I could if you crammed all this into one movie, there'd be so much taken out of it. Because you're gonna try to fit a six hour limited series trilogy in two hours. And that's just not gonna work. And it probably would have made for a very shitty experience, to be honest. So it had to be done this way in the sense of like, you know, three parts. But if you release it in the movie theaters, even if they were to say, okay, we're going to release part one in July of 2021, part two, December 2021, part three in June of 2022, man, you still got to wait a whole year to watch all three of them. Where for us, like just waiting that one week was just like, oh my God, like that needs to hurry up and be Friday so we can watch this. Yeah, it was torture having to wait the following week for these. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think the way they did it was perfect. Uh, I don't really don't think you can do this in a film ad- adaptation because honestly, there's not much, if anything, you can take out of these films because everything in it is is great and, in my opinion, is works with the uh, with the film and and has its own thing. Whether it's building up characters or or helping. Tra- uh, uh, progress the story uh there's really just not much if anything that you can take out in this so it works so much better as a tv series the way that netflix did it and i'm glad that they did and didn't try and put it into one like two and a half three hour film that is just kind of crammed together 
Absolutely. But uh, another great thing about this is, so this was filmed. the The director, uh, the director and the co writer uh, of the of the whole uh, trilogy was uh, Leia Janiac. I think I said that right. Sorry if I butchered her her name. And uh, you know, I don't get many uh, many female like directors in horror. And you know, this was just a prime example of why we should get more female, get more female directors in horror. Like Leia did a amazing job with this, and I'm I'm so happy that they not only allowed her to to you know film what she wrote, she got to film, she got to direct all three parts. It wasn't just her doing one part and somebody else coming in and doing a second part and someone taking over third. It was her continuous vision throughout all three, which worked perfectly. Yeah. You know, that's, that's one of the things is when you're, um, when you look at movies that have sequels, when they start changing directors, man, you know, you really love <coughs> Star Wars. I wasn't going to say it, but uh, you really start losing your vision like that vision of like the first one it's like you see like the part one story like okay i kind of see where the vision this director is going and then you switch directors for the second one and then the third one it's like it just seems like that essence and that direction is so lost and you know jumbled up and misconstrued and it just doesn't tell the story the way you would want it to be so by having the same director uh having that consistency and i think that's one of the things like you know i don't want to be i don't want to jump on that topic but um but i'm gonna because to get that comparison is like you know that's one of the things i think that's gonna make halloween 2018 trilogy be so amazing when it's all said and done is because you have the same people involved for halloween 2018 halloween kills and halloween ends and that vision is going to be seen uh you know for better for worse in this case, for better, with Fear Street, you know, in its entirety. And that's, a, I think, a really big positive. Yeah, the, the huge, huge positive of this uh, was that, you know, this director got to see her vision brought to life over across three different, uh, three different films. And, you know, it, I'm, I'm glad that, that, that we didn't have to deal with something that we've dealt with before with other directors coming in and taking over someone else's vision. But yeah, uh, this was the first thing I saw by her. I know she recently, she did a, a horror film in 2014 called honeymoon. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I, I mean, I, I might end up checking it out because I mean, she did a phenomenal job on this, and honestly, I hope Alea gets to do more. Uh, I want Netflix to continue doing Fear Street. Like, I, I need more. I need I need at least one on every killer. Just give me that at least. Uh, but I would love to see more her do more stuff like this because, like, this in my opinion, this this film, this whole trilogy is what I, I want. I want more of in horror, more anthology more series uh, like this especially done in this way 
where we get these amazing characters, you know, great story and just everything. And another thing what I really liked about it was that this was rated R and, you know, I'm not saying that all horror has to be rated R. We've got some pretty good PG 13 horror and stuff, but as brutal as it was with the kills and, and stuff, I don't think it would have worked and been as effective if it was PG 13. Our rating was perfect for this. No, I mean, absolutely not. You know, being, if you take it down to PG-13, I just see, maybe, you know, it's not a fair comparison because I just, I'm comparing it because it's it's the R.L. Stein source material, but I'm just seeing like that Goosebumps movie with Jack Black. And I'll be honest, I got a kick out of it. I felt like, you know, I'm big in nostalgia, so I was, you know, I read Goosebumps when I was a kid. But, I mean, this was a completely different direction. I mean, I, especially with 1994, I'm sure when we get, you know, we're going to get into it right now. Like, I got so much, like, Scream vibes from it. Like, could you imagine taking Scream and just be like, you know what? We need to take this from an R to PG to make it more acceptable. It just doesn't work. Yeah, the, uh, the, the yeah, yeah. I got a lot of Scream vibes, uh, of course. It, to me, it was... I, I, I may get like, you know, and, uh, some people may not see it like this, but like with the, with the resurrection of like different killers and, you know, using, you know, witchcraft and stuff, uh, I, I kind of got like a bit of a, uh, and my, our friends, uh, shout out to our friends, uh, our friends Yusuf and Vania from Sounds from the Grave podcast, because uh, I was listening to their review of of this, and and uh, Yusuf said that uh, this reminded him uh, it was like it was basically like Scream meets Evil Dead, and I didn't even pick up on that when I watched it until I heard him say that, and I was like, yeah, I can definitely definitely get that. It's definitely got a Scream and Evil Dead vibe vibe to me. But man, the, the, there's just so much great other like homages to other horror movies in this as well, uh, and one of the other best like one of the one of the other my favorite things that like immediately made me like man I love this I, I'm already in love with this series with this film was the soundtrack was absolutely amazing all throughout even though it wasn't even though I know I I saw some people getting uh, uh, giving it some shit on online because it wasn't technically all from '94 or in the right time time zone. But you know what? Who gives a shit? It, it's a great soundtrack. It, it fit. I absolutely loved it. I, I did too. I thought the soundtrack did great. And you know, honestly, I don't even know what 1994 would be. <laughs> yeah it's true but man this is just an absolutely amazing this teen slash this is how teen teen horror like teen slasher films should be done like this is just the just give this is the book on it this is just, just so great and uh listen we're talking about fear street part one 1994 and it's loosely based off the book series of, of fear street book series by rl stein uh I've read a couple of them. I don't think this story is actually 
is actually a thing in the book series. I think this is one that they just came up with on their own. I could be wrong, though, because I've only read a couple of them. I know there's a ton of Fear Street books, but I don't remember this story exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a great, 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 great movie in uh, the series. And like I said before, shout out to Leah Janiak, the director and co-writer of this, because I can't wait to see what she does more. And we absolutely need to have more women direct horror movies, because fucking bravo. But yeah, let's uh, get into it. JR, what do you say? Absolutely, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, I couldn't find any... uh, I couldn't find any kind of, like, stats on how much much it costs to make the production costs and everything like that, or budget-wise, or anything. Because, like I said, this is direct to Netflix. This is a Netflix original. So, we... We start this off, and I absolutely love this opening. This opening is absolutely straight out of Scream, nineteen ninety six, and uh, I've talked, I've, I've joked around my friends before, and I'll say it again. I hate that I have to say nineteen ninety six now because the new Scream coming out next year is called Scream. So now, when that comes out, I'll have to say Scream nineteen ninety six for Scream twenty twenty two. Just yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like with uh, with like Halloween, you know. Yeah. We got Rob Zob- We got Halloween 1978, Rob Zombie's Halloween, and then Halloween 2018. Yeah, and now we're fixed. Yeah, I'm so glad it's called Halloween Kills and not you know Halloween Two, because <laughs> then we'd have three Halloween Twos. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this the, this opening is just straight out of Scream. Absolutely loved it. Uh, so we start off. You know, obviously it takes place in, in 1994. And we have we have Heather Watkins, who is a, a mall bookstore employee. And uh, one thing is, uh, I'm just now getting to watch the series. Uh, I didn't really get into it right when it first started. I think I tried watching it, and I just really couldn't get into it, so I stopped watching. But my friends, uh, specifically CC from the Scream Queens, has been telling me, beg, has been basically t- telling me, I need to watch, I need to watch uh, Stranger Things and try and uh, and. Uh, give it another chance and so i've been trying i've been watching it and i've been really enjoying it uh and heather watkins uh is played by maya hawk and she's actually from stranger things and when i say that this is this whole opening sequence is like from scream she's basically like uh with the rest of the cast she's basically like it's it's how it was in scream how uh how casey becker you know who who was play, who who was in there, and people didn't expect her to be. To, to, people expected her to be the the, the main character because she was played by Drew Barrymore. You know, you, you have a you have a Maya Hawk play in this opening scene, and you, you'd think she has a bigger role than what she does, but she ends up getting killed in this opening scene, and that's what I love to give just more paying homage to Scream. But but Heather is a a mall bookstore employee, and you know. Yeah, she, she's working, and she's getting customers and stuff. And uh, little fun facts: the opening, the, the opening bookstore. When you when you look at the bookstore, you'll see on the shelves there'll be uh, there's there's some books on the shelves, and it's it's fear it's the actual Fear Street books, but on the Fear Street books it has listed on the in, in there it has listed the author is listed as Robert Lawrence, 
Well, Robert Lawrence is what the RL stands for in RL Stein. And I, interesting, I did not know that. Yeah, and the uh, the, the when uh, Heather's customer is this woman. Uh, she's buying a book, and she buys a book called the Wrong Number. And the wrong number is one of the Fear Street books, and it's actually it's the fifth book in the Fear Street series. And uh, ironically, the main character in that book is named Dina, and the main character of Fear Street Part One is also Dina. Oh, uh, but uh, so so you know she's you know she's selling a book and stuff to her, and and then then time goes by, and the mall's closing. And uh, she ends up uh, getting pranked, uh, running into her friend Ryan Torres, and she lets him know that you know, hey, she needs a ride home, and so he, he agrees, and then she says she's gonna go uh, lock up, then she'll come back. Well, she uh, ends up running in, starts getting stalked, and uh, uh, gets attacked by a this. Uh, this masked killer in like a skull mask uh, costume, and once again, it, it reminded me of the Ghostface costume in a way, but but it wasn't quite quite exactly uh, there. It was like a, a skeleton, but it still had like a similar style and look to the Ghostface costume from Scream, which once again was a great uh, throwback to Scream. And you know, she's trying to get away. Uh, she's trying to get away from the for, for, from the killer. And stuff, and uh, she, 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 she tries, but she ends up getting stabbed. And uh, there's even a scene where at the end she's she's uh, trying to run away, and it goes into a slow motion like uh, sequence, just like in Scream, whenever Casey uh, is running away from uh, f- from Ghostface, and he grabs her and 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 stabs the knife in her, and like it slows down. Uh, in the opening scene, it it does this exactly to a T, and the ghost face, the the not ghost face, the 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 skull face killer, uh, does that and stabs her. He throws her on the ground, and uh, right as he's he's going to give her the final uh the final stab uh and killer, uh, he ends up uh, getting shot in the back of the head, uh, by a police officer. And uh, the the ghost face the the skull face killer is also before then revealed uh, to her to be her friend Ryan, and so she's you know doesn't understand why, and but but he's dead, and then she ends up dying from her wounds. And the after this happens, there's like a news there's like a news uh, a news flash thing. Uh, it goes across the screen and basically letting us know that the town this is taking place in uh, Shadyside, which is a town which is which takes place in in Ohio. Uh, this is basically a norm for Shadyside. Like, there's a lot of of killings and just a lot of bad stuff happens in in Shadyside, which people have uh, gave the nickname the murder capital of the U.S. But while this town exists, there's also a neighboring town right beside it called Sunnyvale, and Sunnyvale is the polar opposite. It's considered to be one of the richest and safest cities in the country. 
and there's this uh, local legend that uh, the reason Shadyside is the way it is and why it's so crime-ridden and just opposite of, of Sunnyvale is because of a local legend about a witch named Sarah Fear who placed a curse on the town before she was executed for witchcraft in 1666. So, now we are we are introduced to our main, our main character. Her name is Dina Johnson, and she is a student at Shadyside. And she doesn't believe in the... F- in the fear in the Sarah fear witch story. And she has recently broken up with her girlfriend, Sam, who is, uh, and Sam isn't, isn't out with, uh, is, isn't out to everybody as, uh, as Dina is. So, you know, that calls friction between them and, uh, ended up Sam, Sam's parents ended up getting divorced and she had to move, and so she chose to go to Sunnyvale instead of, you know, staying in Shadyside. Uh, Dina's brother, we're shown Dina's brother, uh, Josh. Uh, Josh is such a great character, Andy JR. Oh, absolutely. I love this. I, I love this, this dude. He was hilarious. You know, I think that was one of the best things about um, about the film is that while you had some, you know, some scary moments, some, you know, that horror moments, but man, you had a lot of comic relief. And, and I think that's one of the things that breaks up. If you do it correctly, it really like balances the film out where more people are interested. And like the comparison I give is if you ever seen... Um, the like Man of Steel, Superman versus Batman, Justice League, and if you compare those movies to like Marvel movies, the big difference is that the Marvel movies have a lot of comic relief to break, and it takes you through like a whirlwind of emotions. Like you know, you're happy, you're sad, you're angry, you're laughing. Yeah. Um, whereas in those DC movies, it's just always like dark and ominous, and it's just you never feel like there's a light. That's why, like Suicide Squad with Harley Quinn, and um, I can't think of his name, the character played by Will Smith, you know, they had that comic relief. Deadshot. I thought that's that made it better than like Justice League, and that's what you know, when you're looking at Fear Street, this character played by Benjamin Flores, he just did such a great job providing that extra like comic relief that made it that took you through that whirlwind of emotions yeah and uh, dean's brother josh he spends most of his free time researching the town's history he, he he basically he knows about the legend and he knows about all the towns all the killings beforehand and everything and then there's their friends simon and kate and simon and kate uh are local students who they they sell drugs in in hope of escaping that town, in hope of you know moving away from Sunny, from Shady Side. Uh, later on, Dina and Sam end up coming across each other uh, after it's a football game, right, Jr. 
and then they're at a vigil for the the victims of the of the Sunnyvale Mall killings. Correct. Yeah. They meet again. Uh, Dina comes across Sam uh, while everybody's uh, uh, getting away uh, at a vigil for the Sunnyvale in Sunnyvale for the victims of the mall killings. Uh, a brawl. There, there's a, a fight between students between Shadyside and Sunnyvale ends up breaking out, and everybody starts scattering and stuff, and then they end up meeting across, meeting each other. And uh, Sam, uh, Dina ends up giving Sam back all of her stuff, and they end up having a bit of a back and forth and stuff until that you know tensions are real high between them. Turn off on good on good terms. There later on, we're on a bus ride home, uh, and the Shady Side students, uh, they're all on the bus, and they realize there there's a car behind them. And uh, it's it's uh, it's kind of honking its horn and stuff at them and stuff, and they realize that the the people driving the car behind them are students from Sunnyvale, and it's Sam's boyfriend, uh, Peter, and Sam. Uh, they're the ones in the car, and they're kind of taunting the students. And so Dina sees that, and she gets angry, and so she opens the bus door. Uh, gets them to open the bus door in the back, and she wants she's trying to throw like a large barrel. I guess it's like Gatorade, I assume, because they're getting back from a football game. I assume that's what it is. And uh, she's gonna throw it at them, which I mean, first of all, that's fucking dangerous anyway. So I don't know why you would even uh, why you'd even want to do that. And this bus driver, man, he. Why is he not stopping this? Is he just okay with them doing this? Like, just doesn't give a shit? Uh, they end up opening the door, and, and uh, they're going to uh, toss the uh, the Gatorade on their car. But Dina, right as they're about to do it, uh, she gets like a bit of a, uh, of a, of a flash, and uh, we can see uh, who, who we know is the witch. And she gets a, a nosebleed, all of a sudden, which causes her to lose her grip on the uh, the Gatorade barrel, and it causes her to, to, to actually toss it by accident, and causing Peter and Sam to have to swerve, and causing them to have a crash. Well, obviously, Dina, Dina sees them crash, and she yells and gets the bus driver to stop, and they pull over, and they run off into the woods to try and find them and make sure that, you know, they're okay. Uh, everybody, they get to the car, all everybody's uh, everybody's safe, but Sam ends up developing a nosebleed uh, as she's crawling out of the car, and she's crawling on the ground. And she, as she's uh, she has this nosebleed, blood hits the ground at this one part, and she sees visions of Seraphir of the witch. But then after this, uh, she ends up getting taken to the hospital, and. So now, the following night, uh, while all this is happening, while they're all at the hospital, Dina and her friends are uh, are over at, at at Dina and Josh's house, and they're stalked by this masked intruder. Uh, it's it's the skull face killer that we saw at the beginning of the movie. 
uh, they initially believe that it's Sam's boyfriend, Peter. And so they end up going to the hospital where Sam is to to try and confront Peter. But when they're there, though, they find out that uh, from D, from Sam tells them that you know Peter's been here the entire time, but uh, Dina doesn't believe it, and Dina and Sam get into argument, and uh, uh, Peter's there uh, with them, and uh, as they're arguing, Peter ends up getting stabbed. Uh, by the killer. Well, the, the, they obviously run off and escape to the hospital. And while this is happening, though, the killer ends up killing. Uh, they see like more people that the killer has killed, and the killer even kills a this one guy in front of them as well. And they get into an altercation with the killer, and Dina ends up uh, knocking off the killer's mask. And, it, and she notices that the killer is actually Ryan from the beginning of the movie who was shot and killed. So, kind of odd. I, I'll say this. I thought the um, the death of the, the boyfriend, Peter, I thought was like... I thought it was kind of cool, you know, even though it's just it's a simple, like, knife kill, but just the way it was done, I just had, like, that you know, flashback to where I'm like, I feel like I saw this, like, in, again, I hate saying it, but I feel like I saw this in a slash film, like, Scream or, or Halloween, um, where just, like, out of nowhere, it's just like, oh, shit, like, he's dead. Yes, exactly. It, there's a lot of homages to Scream in this. That's what I love about it. So you know, obviously they're they're freaked out because Ryan, who was shot and killed or was supposed to be dead, is the killer who's chasing them, not Peter like they thought. Uh, they end up uh, Sam and Dina and Josh and all of them that, uh, and uh, Kate and Simon. They end up uh, going to the police. Uh, and they and the, obviously the police doesn't believe them. The 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 sheriff doesn't. Sheriff Good. While the while they're waiting, while he's waiting for Dean and Sam, uh, while this is going on, Simon ends up wandering off, and he uh, notices a, a a young woman in the street, and she's singing. And he walks up to her and he asks her, he's trying to figure out if she's okay. But then he notices that she's got like uh, uh, wrist slashes and uh, she's got a, a, a razor blade. Like like you would, like one of the old timey razor blades you would like use to shave. People would use to shave at the barber shops. And uh, she attacks him. But before she and uh, she gets a few uh, hits on him, even like cuts his uh, cheek. But before he, she can kill him, though uh, she ends up getting shot by. Uh, he, uh, she ends up getting shot by uh, all the friends who rescue him, and they shoot her in the eye, and they notices that she's like bleak, uh, leaking like black blood and stuff, and that we learn is uh one of the killer one of the 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 
the old killers of Sunny of Sunny of Shady Side, who is named Ruby Lane. And I don't know about you, JR, but Ruby Lane was probably one of my favorites and one that I I really hope that they do a a film on. Yeah, you know these killers. They each one was they had a very unique look to them, and you could tell they had like just by looking at them, you could tell they they could potentially have a lot of good um backstories. So that's the thing that's you know I'm looking you know I can't wait to see. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, and Ruby has a very interesting backstory. Uh, you know, she, she's basically she killed all of her friends and then her boyfriend and then she killed herself. Uh, all while she sings this one song, which is like really, really creepy. Like she, she just has, she's like really, really creepy, but also like really, really, uh, really, really neat. And so, like one, I really want to uh, them to do a film on. I think, I think they could really do a good one on this on her. But uh, uh Simon tells Josh. Uh, he describes the attacker. Uh, Simon describes the, his attacker, the, the girl, to Josh, and Josh immediately realizes that, you know, that he was attacked by Ruby Lane, who was one of the killers in the 60s. And this is where the group finally starts to realize that they're being pursued by, by, un, by the undead, basically. And they, they come to, they pretty much realize that it's all because of the car accident, because of Sam having a vision of Sarah Fear. And it, it, it must have like awoken something in her, and that's why they're being chased. So they end up going to the scene of the car crash earlier, and they end up coming across Sarah Fear's uh, witches, uh, her grave. And you know, they attempt to try and offer her a proper reburial because they figured that they disturbed her grave and that's probably why she's after them but unfortunately they're uh, attacked once more by the killers and it's here that we, we we find out that we realize that Sam is actually the only one that the witch and the killers are after and you know the, the, they realize that it's Sam's that the reason they were attacked beforehand the other ones is because of Sam's blood. Well, Sam's blood was on them, so it's basically they said it was basically like a shark in, in water. They can smell the blood, and that's what they 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 go after. So they the group comes up with this. You know, you have to give it to them. This was a really good plan. Uh, they come up with a really good plan of that they're going to attract all of the killers uh, and trap them at school by using Sam's blood and what they do as, as bait. And what they do is they, they get like a mop bucket and they get, uh, they cut Sam's hand open and they let her bleed into the mop bucket. And then they mix that in and they end up mopping a trail of Sam's blood that but leads them all into where they're trying to trap them in the bathroom, where they're going to get them in the bathroom and pretty much try and explode them. They end up, uh, you know, all the killers end up uh, going to the school just as they as they assumed, and they go to the bathroom. They get the killers in the bathroom where they do what they said they were going to do. They get them all in the bathroom, uh, and 
they light a fire, causes them a big explosion. But unfortunately, it didn't do anything because they realized that the killers have basically reformed out of the charred remains, and so now they're back. Dude, this whole this whole school sequence is really great. Like I loved seeing them lure everybody into it, and there's a lot of really good character development too. Like you, you realize, which you, you kind of realized before that Josh had a crush on Kate, and there's a lot of good stuff between Josh and Kate. Uh, Sam and Dina make up, and I don't know about you, Jr., but Simon is one of my absolute favorite characters in this. He has the funniest fucking one-liners. Or just, just just the funniest fucking like words ever. Uh, you know he he's obviously attracted to Ruby Lane, and whenever he's trying to attract the killers to the thing, Ruby Lane shows up and he sees her, and he runs off and he tells the group when he sees her, he's like, "Oh, she's here, she's here." He goes, "She she she's so fucking sexy, but so crazy." <laughs> I'm just fucking laughing, and then Simon also has this one line because like before they. They get all the killers to the bathroom. Uh, they all go into separate bathrooms to change to to wash off and change clothes so that nobody else has Sam's blood on them except for it's just Sam. It's the only one so that the killers don't don't uh, try and attack attack them. And obviously, uh, and Josh goes into a bathroom with Kate who doesn't want to be alone in there, and they end up. Uh, from what we assume hooking up, but you know, Kate only said that they got the first base, but I think that they hooked up. And uh, it was like it was so weird because I felt like like the age difference. Yeah, like, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But but it was uh, I don't I mean, know. It was hard to tell who how old people were because I mean, for all we know, Josh may have been the same age as them. I don't really know. It, the funny thing is, I looked at it as like uh, Josh was like in maybe like a seventh to eighth grader, and they were like you know like sophomores or juniors. Yeah. But in real life, Josh is like nineteen years old. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's always funny. Like it's just you know he has like a you know we see a lot in Hollywood where people just have younger faces. I think like all of like everybody that was in High School Musical or Saved by the Bell or, or any of those type you know those type of movies or TV shows. They were all in their twenties, um, you know, when when they were filming as high school kids. Yeah, but um, it was interesting. Like, I mean, I was thinking like thirteen, fourteen, and then they were like sixteen, seventeen. Um, yeah, but it, it, they never express like they never say like what age they are, what grade they're in. Yeah, and like, for all we know, like just like you said, Josh could have been like a you know, like a sophomore, a sophomore junior and their juniors or seniors. Yeah. You know, they could be, you know, one year differences. Josh just happened to, you know, potentially look younger. Yeah. But I think if anything was more that he was, he just seemed more like he, um, like a kid because he was involved like in computer stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so, you know, they'll go that Josh seemingly hooks up with Kate, uh, Dita and Sam end up uh, making up. And Simon, <laughs> Simon goes in the bathroom to himself, and you know, he's just having a great time. And then they all get out of the bathroom, and Simon has the greatest line ever. Ever, he looks at everybody, 
and because he notices that everybody comes out, he's like, "Oh, no way!" And he goes, "Does he goes wait? Did everybody just go to Pound Town? Because same." <laughs> I fucking, he's just, I he fucking was feeling love, himself. I, I fucking, no, yeah, I, I fucking love no, no pun. I just, I did not mean to make that yeah. pun. He just, just, he just, he, but he was feeling himself. He was just enjoying being Simon. Dude, I, I love Simon. Simon was one of my absolute favorites. And uh, once again, shout out to our friend Sounds from the Grave podcast. Uh, I think it was my friend Vania, and I, I, I think Yusuf also stated it. Uh, and I, I couldn't not see it after the, after listening to their review of this. Uh, 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 Simon reminds me of reminds of of a mix of Shaggy and the Stoner guy from Cabin Fever. It, that's basically what Simon's character is. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's just such a great character. I, I I love Simon. He the funniest fucking thing said the absolute funniest stuff. So you know, after they realize that their trap doesn't work, they end up running to the school lab, and it's here. Kate basically has had enough, and she suggests that you know, look, the killers are after Sam. They're not going to stop till she's dead. Sam just needs to give herself up and, you know, die and us be done with it. Obviously, D- Dina disagrees. You know, that's her girlfriend. But uh, Sam ends up, uh, after a little bit, reluctantly agrees to die. And she waits outside the hallway, uh, uh, you know, for the killers to, uh, to get her. But luckily for us, uh, Josh ended up finding a collection of clippings uh ended up finding a, cl- a collection of clippings that were uh of different shading side killings uh, where there was one for camp nightwing which is part two 1978 where the survivor th- there was a survivor in it but it's because of her they find out that she died but then was later brought back to life. So then she survived. So then they, they theorize that if Sam dies, but then they bring her back, then this will all be over. So they end up pulling Sam back in at the last minute when they realize that there is a way for Sam to survive. So they end up discovering that there is a survivor. Her name is C. Berman. And you know she also saw the witch, but she also but she survived the Camp Nightwing massacre in, in seventy eight. The, they try and call her, but they don't get an answer. And so they end up making a plan to kill Sam, but revive her later using uh, drugs from a supermarket pharmacy. And I believe the the supermarket pharmacy is uh, owned by Simon's family, if I'm not mistaken. But you know, so so they go to the supermarket, and you know, they come up with this plan where Sam has to take these certain pills in certain sequence, and then wait, and then take these other ones, and then that'll cause her her heart to stop, and then they're gonna bring her back. And this is all because Simon said that this happened to someone he knew. 
and he was brought back in, but you know, he lets her he lets her know how they did it and was very specific on how for her how for her to do it. But unfortunately while this is happening, the killers find them at the supermarket. And so uh, Dina's trying to get Sam to take the pills, but she ends up vomiting up the pills. And, you know, so they're all having to fight off the killers while trying to get Sam to do this. And we have really sad, sad part, but also really, really fucking awesome. Uh, uh, Ryan Torres is... Uh, uh, his kill him the skull face killer he ends up attacking Kate and uh, they they have a back and forth before we see the the skull face killer throw Kate onto uh onto like this table that leads to a bread slicer machine and I don't know about you Jr but at first the way that it was going back and forth, I was like, okay, they're going to find a way for Kate's about to, uh, she's about to find something, something's going to happen and they're going to stop them and they're going to save Kate the last minute because that's what I'm used to. But that's not what fucking happened. No, <laughs> Kate's head goes straight through this bread slicer machine. And this is one of the most, Best fucking kills I've seen in a movie in a horror movie in a long ass time, and it's gruesome. You see everything. I was shocked. How did you feel about it, Jr. Man, that that breast slicer kill was one of the most gnarliest kills I've ever seen in the horror series. I mean, I mean, in a movie. I was for certain that Simon and Kate were going to, like, survive. Right. Like, everybody was, like, the, the four of them, like, you know, well, Dina, Samantha, Josh, Kate, Simon, yeah. like, they were going to make it. Especially Kate, because, like, she's such a great character. She was, like, one of the nice ones. And, man, I, I really wanted her to to survive, obviously, for, for, for Josh, too. Josh's love interest. But no, her head goes through a bread slicer. But yeah, it was like I'm trying to think of all the I'm trying to think of all the kills I've seen. I mean, you know, one of the favorites from you know the franchise that you love, um, Friday Thirteenth, is the uh, the sleeping bag kill. You know, Ken yeah. Harder's favorite kill. And it's up there with that. It's just the like I would never have thought if you even you know it's like oh. Let's go to the grocery store. Okay, how can we kill somebody? Like I would never even thought about using yeah, a, uh, a bread slicer or anything like that. It's it's gonna be looking at bread slicer completely different way now. Uh, and apparently, the art department uh, tried to convince uh, director Leia uh, Jeniak that, or I hope I'm not butchering her last name, uh, that a human head wouldn't go through a bread slicer, but she said that it would. And in order to prove her wrong, they bought a bread slicer machine and they shoved a watermelon through it to show her that it wasn't possible. To their surprise, it worked perfectly. And so everyone in production office cheered. And that's why 
they were take they did that kill. And it was also I don't know if you've ever seen it, the scene uh that kill was also paying homage to a movie called Intruder from nineteen eighty nine where a character gets killed by a meat saw. You know, uh, uh, but in here, you know, obviously Dina, uh, Kate goes through the bread saw. But yeah, this man, it just, it was a fucking brutal kill. And it just, you don't see it coming because we're conditioned to think that, you know, she's going to survive at last minute. But nope, head goes straight through it. I mean, it left nothing to the imagination either. So Kate's dead. And after this happens, we get another, you know, stab in the fucking heart. Uh, Simon and Josh are being chased around by their killers. Simon is getting chased by Ruby Lane. And uh, Simon uh, and Josh end up running off, uh, and they get to the opposite end of, of different aisles, and they see each other, and they look at each other. But then they notice that Kate, they see, they see, you know, Kate's, you know, the, what what remains of Kate through the bread slicer, and they're stopped, and obviously they're they're shocked, they're in shock and horrified, and out of nowhere, <sighs> Camp Nightwing, uh, killer, ends up putting an axe through Simon's head. I was pissed. I was like, no, not Simon. First you, you take Kate and now you take Simon away. Y'all really know how to like, you know k- kick us while we're da- already down. I mean, especially you know not knowing what's to come with 1978. Um, yeah. But Simon and Kate were a big part of what I mentioned, like that kind of bringing in those additional elements to make people feel a certain way, especially with you know the comedy aspect. If you're taking that away. Man, that just for me leaves like a depressed Dina and Samantha and Josh who yeah. felt like he lost like the love of his life, probably. Yeah, I mean, I just man, I just God, I can't. I, but the, the way they killed them though was great. Uh, so obviously, you know, Josh sees Simon get killed, and Dina uh, finally decides uh, to improvise because Sam's vomiting up pills and she can't figure out a way to to, to kill her. To uh, she she realizes that she can drown her in the lobster tank, and so while she's doing this, while she's trying to drown Sam, uh, Ghost uh, Brian Torres is uh, Ghost. Uh, I keep saying Ghost Face, Ghost Face, Skull Face, uh, Killer. He's chasing Josh, and he gets Josh down, and he's fixing to to attack. He's fixing to to stab Josh and kill him. The Nightwing Massacre Killer is about to kill Dina, and Ruby. And on top of that, Ruby Lane is also on her way to kill to kill Dina. So all hope seems to be lost. Finally, Sam ends up drowning and dying, and everybody disappears. And so then Dina ends up getting uh, Josh to help her uh, get Sam out, and they grab a combination of through a combination of epipens. And CPR, they end up bringing back uh, Sam. So everything seems to be all good. The 
and uh, uh, this is one of the parts that I don't like. I hate that when the police, when they're at the they're at the police station, and the police are trying to figure out what happened, they end up pinning everything on Simon and Kate and calling them a bunch of junkies. Okay, first of all, how do you even remotely do that? Sam, Simon has a fucking axe through his head, and Kate's head went through a bread slicer. How is that even plausible that they killed all these people and then had this showdown at the supermarket? Like, how does that even work? You know, the only time I ever seen something happen at a supermarket was the movie Zombieland off the top of my head. Yeah, same here. Like, I don't need to see you know why the police even wanted to try and use that as a story, because that don't even seem plausible. But that's what they decided to go with, place the blame on Simon and Kate and call them junkies, which really pissed me off. Because I, I love Simon and Kate. Yeah, and, and it's only just because they were known for selling drugs. Uh, but So that happens, and then Obviously, Sam and Dina uh, reconcile, and uh, Dina actually uh, runs in, uh, is walking out the police station with uh, with Sam. Sam's mom comes in, and we see that Sam uh, finally uh, tells uh, Dina that you know she'll see her that night, and she kisses her in front of her mom. So now Sam's open, so everything seems to be fine. Uh, we're, we're getting to later that night. They're all at their house. You know, Sam Dina's Sam Dina's laying in bed, and they end up uh, getting a knock. They hear a knock on the door, and Dina tells Josh to to, to get uh, to get it. And then she turns around and she sees it. it's just pizza. He ordered pizza. And so they're enjoying some pizza. Uh, Dina, there a call comes uh, comes on, and she picks it up, and she gets a call. It's from C. Berman, who she tried calling earlier, the one who survived the Camp Nightwing massacre. And she tells Dina, what well, Dina tells Berman that they they escaped, everything's over, they survived, and Berman tells them otherwise that no, there's no escape, there's no escape in the witch. And uh, as she's on the phone with her, she turns around and she sees Sam, and she seems uh, like excited. Like she seems uh, relieved to see her, except for Sam has stabbed her in the stomach. How did how did Dina not know that she was stabbed? I don't. That's I didn't understand that at all. Unless unless Sam just did it like immediately as she turned around. But you would think she would feel it. But Sam has has stabbed Dina, who is and Sam is now seemingly possessed because we see a flashback where uh, we see uh, what her uh, Sam's name appear on the rock where all the other killers are. Uh, after a little bit, finally though, Josh and uh, Dina manage to seduce Sam and tie her up with a telephone cord before the movie ends. But then we get a cut scene, uh, like a, a credit scene showing us a little preview of part two for 78, which I'm sure we'll cover at some point on the show. We'll cover all of them at some point. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, 
I love how they do the transition into going now that we're gonna head towards nineteen seventy eight. Um, but I thought it was obviously you know like you're left like this cliffhanger like something more is coming. Yeah, and um, I forgot to mention it during it, but there is some really great foreshadowing in this that after you watch the other ones and you go back and watch this one, you'll pick up on like, there's a part where there, there's a part where Dina, uh, is talking to, I think Kate and Simon and, you know, obviously Dina doesn't believe in the witch story. And Kate says something along the lines of, uh, uh, who knows? Maybe there's a witch in uh, there's a witch in you, which is funny because Dina's character, Dina's actor, plays the witch Sarah Fear in Part Three, sixteen sixty six. And then there's also a part where Dina gets into it with Sam, and she tells uh, Sam that the only thing she has left to do is to is to us uh, is to be the one to, to to put the knife in her, which she does here at the end. Uh, and then there's just there's other there's other that too throughout that just a lot of great foreshadowing. I think the only thing, the 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 only complaint I have, the only thing I, w- I would change about this would be instead of Simon getting killed by the Nightwing killer, I think it would be more symbolic for him to be killed by Ruby Lane, since that's the one that he liked. But other than that, man, this this shit's just perfect. Um, you want to go on to ratings? Oh yeah. So, should we say out of five skull masks? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, I'll give you the floor. Okay. Uh. Some people may say I'm, may think I'm over, uh, may think I'm overrating this, and uh, saying it's way better than it than than it is. But you know I don't really care. Uh, like I said before, there's only little, just small things here and there I'd change. Other than that, I think this movie is absolutely fucking perfect. The soundtrack is amazing. The kills are. Phenomenal. I mean, it literally has one of the best kills I've seen in a long ass time. The character, the characters are great. I mean, you really start to love almost every character in this, especially especially Simon and Kate. Simon and Kate are great. Uh, just a really great story. A, a lot of nice throwbacks to other horror f- films, and just man, just overall, just really really great stuff, and really good pacing as well. It doesn't really. F- this is like a almost two hour movie, but it don't, it, it, it gets by really quick. Uh, fuck it. I'm going to give it five skull mask out of five. Yeah. I'm going to have to concur with you, uh, Kyle, and I'm going to give it five out of five. I, I really enjoyed the acting. I thought it had great storytelling, amazing character development. You really, you really, uh, started rooting for characters um, for me, as you mentioned earlier, Josh uh, was just great. But I enjoyed those five main characters, as I mentioned earlier. 
uh, Dina, Sam, Josh, Simon, and Kate. And when, you know, when Simon and Kate died, I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe they died. Like, they got to be around for the next movie. Um, one of the things is when I talked about this movie, I didn't want to hype it up so much because I didn't want to, like, create this, like, this ridiculous, you know, high expectation that if I say it's the greatest thing of all time, people are going to be, like, automatically in their head. If they don't see the greatest thing of all time, they're going to think it's not good. But it's it's really, really good. It's an amazing movie that they put together. Um, and so because of the character development, I really don't think there's anything wrong with the film at all. Like, I don't think there's anything you can cut or change and make it better, in my estimation. Um, and just the, being unique during a time where it's, you know, everything is done, overdone, and redone, is just, especially with those kills, I thought was cool. And so um, that's why I give five out of five. Absolutely couldn't couldn't agree more with man. This this movie is fucking perfect. As someone who you know obviously loves horror, but has uh, you know huge huge fanatic of of slashers. This and especially Scream. This just hit right at home with me and was just everything I, I wanted and more. And if you grew up in the nineties, I mean, this film just brings so much nostalgia, especially like that opening you know scene where they're in the mall. I mean, I literally feel like I got transplanted back in time where I was like going towards like a Sam Goody or a uh, Suncoast video, early version of Spencer's, uh, things like that. I just felt like, you know, it was taking me back in time. So that I thought was really cool. Uh, before we, uh, you know, bid our goodbyes, is there anything you want to say before we uh, leave, Kyle? Uh, just, uh, uh, thanks everybody for checking us out and continuing to, you know, uh, listen to us, whether you're a new listener or one that's been with us from the beginning, we truly appreciate it. And, you know, this would be much harder to do with, without you and, you know, just thank you. And as always, uh, make sure you get vaccinated if you can, and you be wearing, wear your mask and, also want to give a shout out i mentioned them before earlier in the review to my friends uh vania and yusuf of the sounds from the grave podcast uh check out sounds from the grave uh anywhere you get your podcast amazing podcast whether you like horror or you like hhn uh they have a little bit of everything and uh looks if you enjoyed our review of it they also have a review of it up on their podcast that i that i really enjoyed and i think you should check out as well and just check out the, their whole podcast uh, as a whole as a whole as well as you know check out our other friends like the Scream Queens uh, Crystal Lake Soldiers and uh, as and, and and many of our other many of our other friends just to echo those, those same similar sentiments I want to thank everybody for listening if it wasn't for our listeners um, not that I wouldn't enjoy it but it'd just be me and Kyle talking about horror and you know and it's for us that we we do it for the love of horror you know kyle i've always said from day one has been you know my horror one of my horror gurus was cc this from the scream queens wasn't for them too i i would not have got back into horror so it's been a lot of fun as we're i mean we're getting close to a year if we haven't got to a year yet and um 
our, our year is in it's uh it's this month i, I gotta re- i think it's this month i gotta remember uh what day it is uh, i i know it'll be sometime this month though so um that's exciting you know we've been doing this for for a full year and we look forward to doing uh, many more years after this one year anniversary uh please tune in with us next week um we will our next original netflix horror that we're going to be reviewing is alive um i has a film um, hashtag I alive. excuse me hashtag alive <laughs> <laughs> but it's hashtag alive um i have never seen i'm excited to see it you know kyle and i we put you know put together this thing um and i'm confident it's gonna be a great one so i'm excited for it uh kyle i I think we we may be having a special guest for this one if i'm not mistaken right yes we will we'll be joined by my good buddy uh uh, teddy who is also the co-host of my other podcast from beyond the crypt which is a cryptids creepypasta and urban legends podcast you know and that's exciting i every time we get an opportunity we, uh, teddy's been on before but every time we get an opportunity to bring in a guest i always enjoy listening to other people's insight i've always feel and kyle always makes fun of me but i say you guys tune in for kyle and you guys tolerate me so bringing somebody else it always makes it uh, better um for the show but with that uh, we must bid you adieu goodbye good night and remember every day is halloween <laughs>